0: Hello and welcome to the Geeks at the Gate. Still no Dungeons and Dragons for you. I still haven't got around to editing it. I've been busy. Sorry. It's it's coming. It's all recorded. We've got hours worth of recordings. Honestly, it's coming. There'll be a nice recap of where we started and where we are before I have any more. But it's coming. It's definitely coming. What we have for you today is an interview with the uh, artist Lucy Sullivan whose name came up um, when we spoke to Fraser Campbell uh, last week because um, Fraser wrote Indexed and Lucy drew it. But that's not what Lucy is best known for. She's best known for a book called Barking, which is where we start this conversation. I should warn you that Barking is about uh, extreme mental health. And we do touch in the conversation because both of us have experience of various aspects of mental health and mental ill health that um, we do go off on one a little bit about how terrible the provision of mental health services is in this country at the moment. Uh, I could go off on a rant about it again, but I'm not going to. But seriously, it's really very, very bad. It's not just that it's underfunded. It's that it's very poorly organised. The people on the front line are doing their absolute best with um, appalling management uh, at, at the top level. You know, the, the people managing the teams are great. Um, poor organisation, which doesn't really think about the, the people involved, and um, almost no resources. We were both a bit cross about it, is what I'm saying. Um, but There's more, much, much, much more to the book barking than that, and there is much more to this conversation than that. Uh, we do spend a lot of time talking about how brilliant Thought Bubble is, because it is. Um, if you are listening to this on the day that it drops, you have missed Thought Bubble 2020. It was last weekend, but a lot of the stuff that was put up for the festival is still there. Uh, go to the Thought Bubble Festival website, at uh, thoughtbubblefestival.com, and have a look at everything. And I will point out at this juncture that tickets are already on sale for Thought Bubble 2021, which, again, as discussed with Lucy in this conversation, is going to be epic. I have got every confidence that we will finally be able to meet people in actual person by then. And um, it's going to be great. It's going to be really, really great. So go and have a look at that. Uh, But for now, shall we get into the conversation with Lucy? (laughs) So, Lucy Sullivan, and you can see what I did there, you can tell I'm professional because I've got your name in so that people know who they're listening to. What can I tell you? I'm very, very I'm very good at this. Um, so, Lucy Sullivan, if I was standing at your table, mm. uh, I'm imagining that the thing I would be able to see most prominently would be barking.
1: Yeah, would that I've happen? got one here. It would be, yeah. I think that would be, it's the main thing that most people know me for, certainly, mm. yeah. So,
0: tell me a little bit about barking. Like, what, what's What's the, the the sort of elevator pitch and how did it come about?
1: So, barking is a tale of grief, madness, and the ghosts that haunt us. So, it came about in quite a long way. It took about ten years to come to fruition in the end. But um, it's basically based on in my twenties, my dad died suddenly, and I ended up about a year and a half later um, realizing that I was in quite a bad place, and I had a breakdown mm-hmm. and ended up seeking uh, help. I wasn't sectioned, but I did go through the process of seeing a psychotherapist and come into terms with the fact that I found out I was uh, had depression and anxiety as well as a kind of grief, as it were. Mm-hmm. And then in the years following, I saw a number of people that were sectioned. And I just wanted to start making a story about these things that happened because they all came out of quite everyday sadly experiences that happen to lots and lots of people be that death or relationship breakdowns or illnesses and everyone I've known that's gone through this has it's something that happens quite frequently so I wanted to make a kind of conversation about it and then talk about um, what happens when someone's sectioned because I have quite a few problems with the way that that's dealt with at the moment so I wanted to talk about that too.
0: Yeah it's a thing that a lot of people don't really know about or think about or even try and understand it's a I mean I, I don't, don't think
1: you can into, into, unless you are put in that situation or know someone that is it just doesn't come up in your life because it's so swept under the carpet I mean my grandmother was uh sectioned on and off my whole childhood and I never once saw her in hospital you know but what I my family just didn't talk about and my dad was just like oh you know She's just a bit like that. And then our local area, she was like known as the mad woman of Fulham and no one really spoke about it, right? But, um, you know, growing up and then starting to put it against my own experience and think about what she must have been through and how scared she must have been and how uncared for, you know, I think mm. you get brushed off once they hit that place. And it's like, no, these are people who are really, really vulnerable and they're absolutely often terrified and then they're treated in a really inhumane way. So there's a yeah. lot to be spoken about with that, really. Yeah, I think it really is important to sort of bring, I mean, mental
0: health in general actually is something that's. It's beginning to be spoken about. It's beginning yeah. to be destigmatized, but it is still there. I think. That yeah, stigma.
1: yeah. And people don't want to necessarily talk about it because it's uncomfortable. And I'm not yeah. going to lie, Barking is quite an intense book. And it's, um, it, it it's the more extreme end of
0: that. And obviously, when you get to a, to a section, and sorry, I I do have a, a little bit of a background in mental health, so I, you know, I, sure, um, yeah. Um, the you know, if you get as far as 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 being sectioned that that is extreme it it takes a long it takes a lot to get to that point nobody talks about that and no nobody understands the inadequacies of the system that people are being taken into and except i think the people who've been through it and the people whose job it is to actually administer that sure
1: yeah Uh, and i think i you know i don't have any problems with the people necessarily working in it because I think there's lots of good people trying to do their jobs but it is it's the system right it's it's the way it's sort of grown out of bedlam and essentially going to kind of laugh at the freaks into a kind of health service it just they're improving on something that was awful to begin with instead of just starting afresh (laughs) is the big yeah and the whole thing is
0: is is shockingly under-resourced
1: yeah, hugely. Uh, and even more so now with so many people yeah. really feeling the impacts of it. It's um, it's astonishing how little money has been put towards it.
0: And, and the people, the people on the front line. I mean, if you are sectioned, it is likely that you'll be taken away by the police.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're. I mean, that's why I've got them in the book. You're yeah, I mean, sectioned under the mental the police, health act. The police are not equipped to do that. No, it's and they not- get no training at all. And um, that's appalling. You know, yeah. I, I sat on a jury service whilst I was writing barking for a murder trial at the Old Bailey, uh, which oh. was really intense. I, I imagine uh, it both, yeah. Yeah, it was really hard hard to deal with. But it was um, it was all about mental health. And I heard from a lot of kind of professionals and psychiatrists and doctors. But the police that had to deal with the perpetrator who was claiming he was suffering from mental health. He was quite clearly lying about the fact that he he was found guilty and he's been put away for it, but he was quite clearly lying about having a mental health episode and was Mm -hmm. trying to get away with murdering his fiance. And hearing the police who really were quite convinced by it because they'd had no exposure. They just thought, well, he looked mad and he was saying mad Mm -hmm. things. You're like it's not, it's not that simple, right? But they no yeah. one had sat down and spoke to him because every single doctor went, he has no recognisable mental health condition whatsoever. But for the police, it was just like, oh, but he was being really crazy. And you're like, okay, mm. but this is because you've been given no training. And that's terrible because yeah. they are normally the first people involved and they don't get the training. And that's just such an oversight. And they want it. I've met a number mm. of police officers who said, we'd welcome it but there's yeah, no but no one's no, no no so prepared to give it to them no
0: and and when when these guys yeah you know, find themselves in a situation with somebody who is being sectioned then the only place they can take them is a cell
1: yeah yeah and I Which... was gonna do that actually in the book but I thought it would be so convoluted to talk about so I actually got it where a friend of mine when she was sectioned was taken straight to the hospital by the police That so was lucky. the yeah. yeah. I think it's often the position you're found in. And because she was a harm to herself, she was taken straight to the hospital. Mm. I think often if you're, if you're in a position that looks like you're going to be a harm to other people, then you you're to going see. to go straight into a cell. Yeah. And that is, you know, those are the two things you can be sectioned under. It just that. Like, displaying those two things in some way so yeah she got very lucky in fact both one of them went through the doctors and the other uh, straight to the hospital actually and the other one went by the police to the hospital so neither ended up in the police cell but yeah it's a whole nother story mm. that side because because i mean the worst
0: place, if you are in a position where you need to be sectioned pretty much the worst place possible for you to be is a police Look. cell
1: yeah, it couldn't yeah. be worse, you know. And then even once you get to the hospital, things like I've got the um, admittance form for my friend and it's like poorly photocopied, it's barely legible, and that was what she had to sign to just sign her life away. I, and I read a, a really remarkable book as part of my research called Agnes's Jacket, and it's about um, looking into the sort of psychology care, psycho psycho psychiatric care in this country and it talks to a lot of people who are are on the front line so it talks to people who are service users and people in the the, uh, health service Mm -hmm. but one of the people they spoke to was someone who goes and trains people on the London Underground so staff there to deal with suicide attempts. And the first thing they teach them is that if someone is in that place and they're having a psychotic episode, the chances are that they're having oral hallucinations, possibly even visual hallucinations, and the chances of them actually hearing what you're saying is so small. Mm. They're probably just, the voices from their own mind are so loud that they're probably attributing them to you, so that you're as you're approaching them saying, you know, please don't jump, Please calm down. They're probably hearing the opposite because yep. their voices have hit that peak. And that's, you know, one of the things I really wanted to get across in embarking is that the chances are if you're in that place that you can hear what people are saying that are trying to help you is so minimal. And to feel that kind of what it would feel like to be out, overcrowded by voices that aren't actually there, you know, and how complicated and frightening that must be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really it's such a difficult thing to cope with on both sides. I think
0: it is, I think. And I think it's a thing that unless it's not even enough to know people who've been through it, I think unless you've been through it and experienced it, there's probably no real way to understand what it's like. Yeah, I, I agree. Any any description that somebody gives it gives you of that experience is going to be filtered through your own perceptions yeah. and and the, yeah. and it, you've got no frame of re- reference. I mean, I've never had a psychotic episode. I have no frame of reference for it. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, I mean, I ha- I have had mental health issues. I've also had depression, and actually, that's kind of what I'm basing this on because I, before I was ill, somebody close to me had been through it and I sort of thought oh I know about depression you know mm-hmm. I've seen this person go through it I I've, I've, I've seen how it affected them I know what it is um, yeah and I've had it for ooh, easily two or three years before I even contemplated the idea that I might actually need some help because yeah, yeah. I didn't recognize it and yeah. you know that, that,
1: that, it's so different
0: right yeah having been told about it doesn't prepare you for anything
1: no and I think it, it manifests so differently in people like I don't think anyone I knew at the time would have considered what was happening to me was depression because I was like self-destructive I was out all the time I was in a really kind of what seemed like I was coping I guess because I was working three jobs and I was like had a huge social life but No one was picking up that I was getting really drunk and I was getting into fights with Mm -hmm. or trying to get into fights with like big guys all the time. And I was just a slip of a thing at the time. You know, I'm five foot four. I was about eight stone at the time. And I'm like trying to pick fights with massive blokes, you know, because I couldn't, I, I guess I was, I don't know, sort of trying to punish myself. I don't even know what I was doing. But for me, I had this kind of night which ended up being... I, I think a psychotic episode. I can barely remember any of it, but it was pretty disastrous. And that was the crux of when I realized that I was in trouble big time. You know, I'd, I'd really put myself in harm's way, and I got a friend in harm's way. And luckily, he forgave me. it, And another friend pointed out to me what I'd done because I couldn't remember any of it. And they're just slightly just unrecognisable at the time. And I I don't remember it. My mind's just blanked a lot of it, you know, but I remember parts and they were pretty horrific, really. So, yeah. And I wouldn't have recognised it. I still didn't think it was depression. You know, I just knew that I was extremely angry (laughs) and really, really upset but Yeah, that sounds horribly
0: familiar, I have to say.
1: Yeah, and it I think it's a kind of that sort of type of depression is generally kind of attributed more as a kind of male form of it. And it's not normally attributed to women when they go through it. And that's what I found really strange. Yeah. that Women are supposed to be more, you know, at home and hiding under the duvets and well
0: I, I think all I mean there is a, a, an element of lingering misogyny, I think. In, mm. in all of it I mean it's always been I'm not going to say fashionable but certainly acceptable you know for, for hundreds of years you know for men to have to, to be melancholic yeah you you, can yeah. Be ser- you know a man could be serious and melancholic yeah but um, women are hysterical women are hysterical and yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. you know and I'd like to think that those attitudes don't prevail amongst professionals anymore
1: yeah but, I yeah I don't think so
0: But in the popular imagination amongst regular folk, I think those attitudes are still there.
1: Yeah, I think on the everyday, it's still how it's kind of discussed, isn't it? I think people attribute depression with being sad and staying indoors. Yeah, oh God.
0: so much much.
1: yeah I mean I really fought to not have any imagery in mind of anyone with their heads in their hand or Mm. you know looking teary something I noticed in
0: Barking actually that you 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 really have I I presume consciously avoided yes those those stereotypical sort of sitting huddled up and yeah yeah.
1: I really tried to because it wasn't how I felt you know I wasn't like that I was Larry and Mm. like I said aggressive and then just you know Fully going for it. <laughs> well, and I think even on,
0: even at times when when you do feel like that, that's not how you present in public.
1: <laughs> exactly, and that's kind of the other thing is I think a lot of depressives are really good at putting a face on and looking like everything's fine, and we've just we've got it nailed, and no, I'm okay. And that is the hardest part about it because I think we're really good at hiding what's happening, and um, that's how we end up getting into yeah. such trouble. From yeah.
0: ourselves as much as anything else
1: yeah absolutely you know I think that's the hardest part and yeah. the thing that helps you recover is learning how to realize when you're hitting about and go right I've got to take it easy because I can feel that I'm getting those triggers and you know it's time to chill out or whatever but that's the hardest bit is being honest with yourself about where you're heading definitely
0: yeah yeah wow this conversation took a turn didn't
1: it yeah, <laughs> I I mean, I it's it of the book. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a light sub subject, and you know, I think the book is more can be more entertaining at parts because there are there is a lighter section, and you know, hopefully the artwork is more intriguing. And I do kind of pitch it more as it is almost, I think, a bit of a horror story. Like I try and think, of, I was really in, inspired by things like Dark Water, the Korean, uh, Japanese film. Mm. Um, that sort of idea of being haunted by yourself and your past is a big part of my book as well as, you know, talking about the mental health service. But hopefully it's not entirely intense. And I do have some other zines and things. But... Yeah, no, I, I, I really should have it.
0: Having read Barking, I really, really should I actually. I, we, we got into the whole mental health side of it. And that is very serious and very important. And But I wouldn't. I was going to say, I wouldn't want people to think that it's a depressing read. I mean, it's it's not a laugh a minute. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's intense. But there's, it, is a, a, you know, it is a narrative that is engaging and will draw you in. And it's also visually stunning, I have to say. Thank you. It really does. It really does look amazing.
1: Thank you. I worked really hard on the look of it. So I'm really pleased when people like it, because I think the visual had to be arresting to get people to read the the story sure. as it was, you know, you know, and to try and depict what might be going on in someone's head, it really kind of opens up what you can go for yeah. artwork wise. And I kind of really tried to do that, you know, so it is quite, um, it's quite a ride to try and figure out what's happening and what isn't happening and what's in her head and stuff like that. And hopefully not too discombobulating. No, I thought it worked really well, actually. Excellent, because it's quite there's quite a lot of quite a lot of surreal imagery in it, really. But if you can accept it as happening, then then it should work. But it's getting you to just fully grasp from the start yeah. that some of these things aren't real and some are.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think you engage the reader to the point where that's actually quite easy to do from a from a reader's point of view. So amazing! Oh, that's really great to hear. <laughs> so that's barking, but as you say, you do have other things that would be on your table, were I standing in front of it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I just tidied up after my Thought Bubble expo at home. Um, I do have, so I have some little zines, like things like this. This is one I, we really just can't say it, so it's called The Grapple. I did it with Colossive Press, who so is a small press publisher based in London. And uh, they got different artists and creators to do a zine each, so they're one-page zines, and they've got this lovely kind of fold out oh, to nice. a fold out to a kind of A4 illustration, and all the zines fold out differently. I've got the whole stack here, actually. Sorry for the rustling. Um, That's okay. It's it's, it's good folio work. It's giving you the feel, right? So you know, there's like Olivia Sullivan. She did one. Uh, Sean Atrapadi, Jane Gibbon Murphy. So they've all done different ones. And actually some of them, they were meant to fold out in a Turkish way, but I got too complicated with my design and they ended up having to do that. So um, these ones all fold out to this beautiful kind of Turkish map. Oh, that's scenario. Nice. Yeah, it was lovely. And mine was supposed to do that, but I over I designed. So apologies to Tom at Colossus um, also, I've got these zines that I made to go alongside barking. So they're the one one in four zines and they were part of my crowdfunding. And um, again, they all kind of fold out in a slightly different way to a single illustration on mental health. Um, I would have had... Probably something as a link to Indexed, which is on my website, um, which is a lo-fi sci-fi that I've drawn for Fraser Campbell. And I've, it's actually, left- I've actually just spoken to Fraser. Oh, right. So we did that, uh, just finished the Kickstarter and we're sending that off to print this week, I think. Um, I think that's what he said, yeah. Yeah, and we got it lettered by Hassan, and it looks great. I can't wait to see it in print. It's going to be really exciting. So Me too, actually. What I've seen of it so far, again, just looks amazing. Your your art style really works for it. Oh, it was so much fun to do. And it, that genre, that kind of lo-fi sci-fi, is absolutely my bag. Like All my favourite films are from that genre. So mm-hmm. when Fraser was looking for an artist after it, was originally going to be Anna Redman, and she had to drop out for her uni stuff. And um, when he looked for an artist, I was just, yeah. and it was just lovely to work with Fraser. He's a good guy and a really nice writer to work with because he kind of just lets you go for it and doesn't restrain you. And that's a real pleasure, actually. So yeah, I would have had a link to that. And then I've got some prints that are kind of... Oh, and my other zines, actually. I've got uh, my one in four zines. uh, Sorry, my how to build a feminist zines, which were are going to build up to my next book, Mm -hmm. which is going to be called The Bad Old Day's. And these are all, they're all based around a letter and each one kind of folds out, again, separately into different ways. Um Some fold out just simply like that, others don't. So they all turn into, use the rustling again, <laughs> good funny into a letter So you can, once you've read them, you can fold them into letters. So the F1 folds into an f and there are instructions on each zine of how to fold them and they spell out a sentence which is a bit sweary so but it's my ultimate feminist statement so um yeah that was kind of fun to do so I would have those and then I would have some prints I've got some like uh different kind of um art prints my one of these is you know like a from the Rikerbuck Falls from Sherlock Holmes, which I originally drew for my partner. He's a big Holmes fan. And then I've got kind of risographs from Barking, if I can get the thing open. It's lovely kind of two-toned risographs that I was going to have. So, yeah, bits and bobs, but I guess the main the main push would have been for barking, and then, yeah, trying to get the zines out as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm partly organised, but, you know, not having... Normally, we'd obviously be at Thought Bubble. My partner's from Harrogate, so we would have done a kind of family trip up and I would have had the whole suitcase full of stuff and probably been a bit more organised. But, you know, not having to pack means yeah. that, you know, everything's still kind of like all over the place, as it were. But, yeah.
0: I, I can empathise. I mean, I'm, I'm actually based in Harrogate, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. even even I, for going to Thought Bubble, would have had to have got organised and done some stock taking and sure. done yeah. some cataloging and bodies. stuff. Yeah, and I just <laughs> haven't done it this year. <laughs> and I'm, yeah,
1: because you don't need to, right? So. Yeah. No,
0: it's, well, it's I can't fine. even get in the shop at the moment. So, uh,
1: yeah, right.
0: Yeah, moving into a cinema seems like such a good idea.
1: Yeah. So, is that what the issue is? Because, of yeah, I the... mean,
0: if I still have, obviously, I'd be closed, whatever. But if I was still in my original premises, I'd have a key and I could go yeah. in and do all kinds of stuff while we're shut. But being under the stairs at the cinema, yeah, you get in when the building's open and fairly understandably, they're not going to give me a key to the entire building. So, um, yeah. obviously, when I moved in. The, the building, in normal times, opens at nine and shuts at midnight, so access – seven days a week. So access was never yeah. going to be a problem. Yeah. Until government-mandated lockdown. So and who would
1: have, you know, seen any of this
0: coming when quite. you first – Not quite. it's just nobody, nobody saw this coming.
1: Um, no. I, I think you couldn't have written it and believed it, even in comics, people would have been like, That'd be silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, th- I think if you had – if twice? <laughs> if you were
0: in 2020 – as a, okay. as a as a as a comics pitch, you would be told it was far too far fetched.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would never happen in real life, and no one would let it happen twice. Yeah, yeah. It's, um <laughs> yeah. It's, well, um... fingers crossed it gets to the stage where you can go back soon. I mean, the you know the concept of a. Uh, vaccine is really exciting for everyone I, really you'll we'll, nice. we'll get that I'm optimistic for Thought Bubble 2021 me too I think it's going to be epic I, <laughs> I think Harrogate won't know what's hit it
0: it's, it's going be it I, weird mean, last year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean yeah I th- I think because so many people have Thought Bubble as you know almost the focal point of their year it certainly is for me yeah um, absolutely and it's uh, before thought bubble it was bristol and before bristol it was ukac and there's you know there's always been that con yeah Um, yeah and you know i've got friends i've known for 30 years that i only see once a year at the con
1: yeah absolutely and i know i'm not unusual in that no i think that's normal and i had a chat a kind of thought bubbles sort of Google Meet with um, Bucky, PM Bucken, um, Lyndon White, John Pearson, and uh, we met Connor and Knudston from Dark Horse and stuff, and we're just all chatting and Sarah Gordon. And Lyndon was like, you know, Thought Bubble is essentially our Christmas party and we're not getting there this yeah. year. <laughs> like our, our annual Christmas party where we get together at the end of the year and everyone celebrates. And, and it's that you get to see your collaborators and like, because yeah. Fraser's in Scotland and I'm in London and, you know, we're just talking on Zoom and on Skype and stuff. And it's the chance we would have had to kind of catch up. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite glad to not have the hangover that I had last year
0: There's <laughs> after that. Saturday, so, you know. There's that. I, I, I've got friends who work at the uh, convention centre, and uh, I imagine they are they are ruining the loss of bar takings.
1: Yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and the rest, all the snacks, because you uh, know, they so hungry. The amount of coffee they must have sold at Port but, Bubble last. Year. But it does mean that you know
0: next year when hopefully touching all the wood. Um yeah. we can get, you know, all be back together. It's
1: gonna be amazing. I mean it is, yeah. Yeah. I'm really already planning what I can have ready for next year because it's just yeah, it's gonna be a great year, I think, a really exciting one. So yeah. we can all just have a massive build up to it.
0: <laughs> In the meantime. Yeah. Because Thought Bubble is um just a little bit special.
1: Yeah. I think it's the, the scale and It's that mix because you can get those, you know, real industry bigwigs alongside a real small pretter and everyone just kind of rubs along and supports each other. And
0: everyone's sort of on equal terms. It's, you know, yeah. I mean, there are people, I mean, they do have guests who are occasionally literal rock stars. I remember Gerard Way. Yeah, he
1: follows me on Instagram. It's amazing. That's yeah awesome. i know i get lots of um fan accounts following me because they think i know him i don't know him, but he just <laughs> likes my comics for some reason <laughs> um but you
0: know i mean yeah you know, even gerard way who had queues literally down the street i can imagine when he came you know when he was finally able to get away from his table in like the last 20 minutes of the sunday and he came round the con you know there was no look at me i'm a rock star he was just a fan yeah uh, yeah right you know and you know, and I go around the tables and I see, you know, people who, okay, they're not household names, but they're rock stars to me, you know, people like uh, Dave Gibbons and uh, John yeah. Wagner and, and, and people like that. And they're on their table and they are, you know, the giants that they are. Yeah. But, yeah they, but the person on the table next to them is, you know, you know, somebody who's only ever made a comic in their bedroom and has got, you know, sort of half a dozen things that they ran off on the works photocopier.
1: And even, yeah.
0: there's no, yeah.
1: Looking it's down so lovely. That. Yeah. And it's, just the eclectic mix, you know. I mean, I think all a lot of the festivals are really good at that, having an eclectic mix, but it just seems so much more apparent at Thought Bubble just to see that scale of what's on offer from comics. Yeah. It's just extraordinary, you know. And it's it,
0: mind-boggling. And it is all comics. and Yeah, you know, yeah. And no disrespect to the other kinds that do this. There's a place for this, and I enjoy it, but, you know, you don't, at Thought Bubble, find a big truck painted like Optimus Prime.
1: Yeah, or, absolutely.
0: Or the cars from The Fast and the Furious. Or Yeah. The I've with...
1: never been to those cons because they're just, the kind of merch side of it doesn't really appeal to me. I'm sort I... of in it for books and stuff. But I get, I get it. it just you know, I, we, we had one in
0: Harrogate uh, a couple of years ago before Thought Bubble came in. And, you know, and they had all that. Yeah, they, they had a a... a, a Full size Millennium Falcon cockpit you could go in and yeah um, right you know and they had the cars from the Fast and the Furious and they had a Batmobile and and that was all great it was fantastic but it wasn't comics and um, mm. Thought Bubble really stays focused yeah and, and on because that. of that it really does such a good job of showcasing yeah what is out and what is out there is amazing I mean yeah exactly the, the, I, I, as a retailer I keep being told that there is no real British comics industry <laughs> and. It's mad. I can, I can go along with that to the point that, well, yes, we haven't got anything as big as Marvel or DC. You know, we don't have any publishing giants. But we've probably, yeah, but got, still, we've like probably got the most, vibrant,
1: yeah, we've probably got the most yeah. vibrant comic scene in the English-speaking world. Yeah, and I think with the publishers we do have, like I said, Self-Made Hero, Myriad, Jonathan Cate, you know, I think they're bringing out really amazing books and then if you want to get your kind of oh, vault and all those guys, if you want to get your like proper kind of traditional comics fix, there's so many small publishers doing it and yeah. small presses, you know, and well, yeah, the, the, the people the who is that is the
0: small press, the people like you and Fraser and, and, uh, Rachel Smith and Terra yeah. Bill, you know, people who had, you know, wanted to make comics. So rather than asking permission and saying, please, will you publish me? Just went, all right, well, let's do this then. Yeah, I'm making it. And yeah. the, the quality Exactly. Of, Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kickstarter is a huge, huge part of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think sort of digital printing has, has helped it along as well. I mean, I remember when I first got into sort of small press, self-published comics in the early 90s, pretty much the only way to do it was to uh, you know you draw your thing and then you'd sneak mm-hmm. it into work and do it on the works photocopier and yeah right. hope the boss <laughs> didn't notice and 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 almost everything was was therefore a five and black and white photocopied yeah and there's some really really good comics came out of
1: that yeah, um, amazing I know some people that were still doing that up until lockdown and then suddenly went, oh, no, I can't use my works photocopier. I'm going to have to actually pay you to get my stuff printed for once. You know? But the fact that people can do that now
0: reasonably affordably. Yeah. It's print, amazing. You know, in, in, And in print runs that they can afford, you know, that are realistic. You don't have to get 10000 done.
1: Yeah. And you've got options. Like I did my zooms that I showed you, I did through um, the Footprint Workers Co-op up in Leeds. And that's all like resographed and it's all done by a cooperative. So you're sort of like, it feels ethical and then it looks beautiful and you can get as many as you need. And, you know, that you've even got the options. So you can get something really slick and glossy or something really beautifully kind of arty handmade. And it's, mm. you know, the, the wealth of what you can do is kind of extreme.
0: I, I hesitate to use the word artisan because it sounds pretentious, but it kind yeah, of it is. It is
1: yeah. Because they're kind of one off, you know? Yeah. And, it, it, and that level of care
0: that goes in it means that you know from my point of view again as a re- not just as but actually from my point of view as a retailer in this instance there was a time when your small press self-published stuff kind of got relegated to a corner because it, mm-hmm. you know, it looked amateurish and you didn't want it front and center so you know a lot of retailers and uh, put it sort of you know to one side sort of thing and it was almost ghettoized but yeah. now, i mean the, the production values on on everything is so high i can put it on the main rack next to your marbles and your DCs and your images and your vaults, because the production values are as high. It looks that good. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, if, if you're just a regular reader who doesn't pay attention to which publisher is on the cover, there's no way of telling that this is yeah. something that, you know, somebody funded themselves and has, you know, they've got a box of 5,000 under their bed. Um, yeah. Or it's it's a, you know, a, a fully professional organisation with you know, dozens of employees. There's no difference anymore in the end result.
1: Yeah, I think it's greatly, you can also get access to those printers. Like I use Rich at Comic Printing UK. Mm-hmm. Um, he printed my, I did a comic of Barking when I was crowdfunding it. So just the first two chapters. And then um, when Unbound, the first print run they got done was a complete mess. It just didn't work at all. So I pushed for it to be reprinted and got Rich to do it. So Unbound are a big publishers, you know, they're mainly a literary publisher. They've published the full print run through Rich. But I also now we're going to get him, he's doing Index with Fraser. So, you know, we've I've got a graphic novel he's done, a big hardback, as well as, you know, a kickstarted 20-page sci- sci-fi comic, you know, so I, I, that you can get access to someone. And Rich is amazing. You just email him for a quote and you've got this one-on-one relationship with your printer I wouldn't have known how to have done that ten years ago, fifteen
0: years ago. Well, you not know. um, I don't know about ten or fifteen years ago, but I can certainly tell you that twenty-five years ago, when I tried to do that, yeah. um, printers didn't know how to do it.
1: Yeah, I remember exactly. going
0: around. Um, I, was, I was at university at the time, and uh, it's funny I've told this story recently. I, I, I discussed this with Fraser actually, um, yeah. but I, you know, I'm really glad that we never got it off the ground because it was awful, and I'm really glad that nobody read it because it does not look like well. Um, yeah. But I remember schlepping it round easily a dozen printers in york yeah so look this is what we have got this is what we'd like to do and they all looked at it and went yeah okay yeah. We can't do gray so you're gonna have to change that and make it dots <laughs> and you know whereas now you can just go to someone like rich um yeah who i don't know but i know a lot of people yeah. who put work through him and he knows what he's doing I, and he can just brilliant. Him, oh, yeah, he's he can a fan. yeah
1: yeah he's a fan yeah. and he can help you with the Color and the stock and, you know, everything. I mean, he basically taught me how to comp my book in in InDesign so that I now know how to use it. You know, I mean, that's the levels he works at. He's astonishing for that. And I think it's that he loves it. So he's willing to kind of go that extra mile. And I know people that use MixMag and stuff as well. I haven't used them, but you know, lots of people can find their way. And I think it's what makes the scene so vibrant. There's, you can still do it on your uni. you know photocopier if you can get in most of the yeah. still open. um I know the uni i t chat is still open there's still photocopy machines there, but you can just email someone or order it online and that is it's just extraordinary, and it's definitely why it's such a vibrant scene here, you know and It'd be nice if the uh, bigger kind of markets realise that actually, you know. Yeah, uh, there's nothing more depressing than an
0: article about comics in the Guardian because they're still, oh, yeah, they're still always they, talking about Watchmen.
1: They're still not getting it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you just go, "How is your reference from 1980s?" You know, it's just astonishing. We've got to just let's move on, please. You know, yeah, they're missing out, and then they do some, they do graphic novels, but they miss the comics and they miss the zine scene, and it's just so amazing and Mm. it's so depressing that they haven't still haven't picked up on that and i think it's it suffers from that infantilized side still people still think that comics are just graphic you know just superhero stuff or whatever Mm -hmm. and you know and they are that but they're also all these other things and uh, yeah the more people can get their heads around that the the more fun they're gonna have (laughs) yeah
0: you know no it's constant. it's constantly frustrating i mean the number of articles I've read over the years in places like—I don't want to pick on the Guardian, but they're the chief corporate here. So let's pick on the Guardian for a minute. It, it, every three or four years, there's an article that is basically, "Good Lord, there are comics that are for grown-ups and they don't have superheroes in them." What yeah. a shock! And it's like, hang on—I read this exact same article yeah. about a different comic four years ago. How are you still surprised? You know, it, it, yeah, we, absolutely. we seem to be burdened with this "comics are for kids" thing, which is doubly frustrating.
1: Well, it's, <laughs> Recent was it cod- it a Booker of... Prize, yeah. What was the one that Sabrina was nominated for? Was that the of Prize? It was one of the big literary the Prize, prizes, yeah. yeah. And that that brought out a slew of those articles that just had me pulling my hair out and shouting at my phone, you know, because yeah. it was all like, "Wow, this is like actually quite a grown-up topic, and it's really sophisticated storytelling." And you're like, oh. "And yet, the same publications." Printed roughly the same article
0: when Mouse won the Pulitzer. Yeah, and that know. was what 1980 something.
1: Yeah, well, I'm friends with um, Nick Abadzis, who did Leica and *Hugo Tate*, and you mm. know, and he's from you know *Deadline* days, and um, he was at uh, Marvel UK for a, a while, and um, he goes through all of that with Leica, and it's gone, you know, it's won an Eisner, it's now being adapted into kind of interactive film for the BFI. Um, with uh, Kasha, the really famous director who did um, Senna and Amy, um, Arif, I can't remember his name. I will look it up and I'll drop it into the show notes. Yeah, and it sounds, you know, and Nick's always saying that what people fail to realise is how how sophisticated a language it is in comics, to bring mm. that kind of text and imagery together to combine smoothly to tell a, a complicated story. And it's so hard and it's so complicated and it should be held in as much esteem as they do in France and Japan where, where people... Fully respect it as an art form, you know. I I really hope that one day we can I, it, finally get there. You know, it, it may happen,
0: but honestly, I, yeah, I I started reading comics in the late eighties, um, hmm. in the wake of Watchmen and V for Vendetta, and I remember at university, I, I actually did my uh, dissertation on how comics. It was my dissertation was on whether comics were literature or not. Nice spoilers. No, they're their own thing. <laughs> Yes. Um, and, you know, at that point, I fully expected that, you know, we've grown up now. You know, we 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 will be respected like film and novels. And 35 years later... <laughs> OK, I'm not sure if I'm interrupting here for the sake of accuracy or out of pure vanity. But I do feel the need to point out that I'm not that old. It was 25 years ago, not 35.
1: <laughs> and no, but yeah, okay, look we're how still many... having the same conversation. It's not happening. How many Netflix shows um, and are, are comics based originally now? You know, like the amount of things that come up and you go, well, that's a comic and that's a comic and that's a comic. <laughs> but how many people, and, how many people that and, aren't part of the, the scene know that? Yeah. I was teaching at a uni recently and um, what were the two things I was, I was like, ask these remarkable questions where I'm taking it as a compliment that they didn't know how old I was. I'm in my 40s, so I'd, I know a few things <laughs> about this. And one asked me if I'd heard of the Umbrella Academy comics and it was just like, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's not even that old. What was the other one who said to me, oh, did I know who H.R. Geiger was and had I heard of the Alien films? And you're just like, Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have heard of Geiger. Because, <laughs> you know, I was born in the 70s, and it, for a large part of the early 90s, you can move without Geiger stuff, let alone, you know, the actual films at the time. But, God, I, you know, I had the big art book, and I remember yeah. going to in- Bidden Planet, and there was always, a, you know, some Yeah, kind I could of have
0: somewhere.
1: Yeah. But even, like, Hellboy, you know, I bought those when they first started getting collected. I've got Hellboys from the nin- mid-90s, you know. Yeah. and Oh, That's more my era. I think I started in 90s, really. I was reading comics. I grew up in a pub, so there was always, like, the bartenders were always leaving stuff around that I probably shouldn't have read. <laughs> but lots of biz and stuff at a young age that, you know, was quite enlightening <laughs> I just, I'll say think I think of it as an education yeah and we got Oint when I was a kid that was I think tail end I of the, right. yeah and apparently Charlie Brooker started out writing on that I think he did but, yeah yeah, yeah and I. I, I remember, as well. uh, it was brilliant uh, we got us there was one birthday of a friend of mine in my class and oink came out with a seven inch single on it and I remember us just playing it over and over again at this party <laughs> and it was like I think I had that. Like, like the plops or something, and you know, I loved all of that, and Deadline, and all of those comics. I mean, you know, yeah, oh Deadline was amazing. I love Deadline. I missed a lot of Nick's running it. I caught the tail end of Deadline, so I got it when I went to through Tank Girl. A friend of mine, one of our bartenders, had given me Tank Girl when I was like thirteen, and said, "This is you. You should be reading this." <laughs> and I was like, "I don't." So, like short hair and earrings, and mm-hmm. a lot of attitude at the time. So, it was probably a fair reference. Um, but yeah, and I then discovered that you know they were running Tank Girl in that and Love and Rockets, and you know just this complete milk cheese. It was like such a such an education in comics and what they can achieve. Oh no, my doll's gone. Can you give me two seconds? Yeah,
0: <laughs> the joys of recording in an afternoon. It was bound to happen at some point. I'm actually kind of glad it
1: wasn't me. <laughs> Any problem with Zoom, it's the inevitable Amazon (laughs) It was going to
0: happen to one
1: of us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, I think it's an amazing scene. And, you know, maybe you're right. I think we probably won't ever fully reach the kind of elevation, but there's certainly so much to explore that, you know, hopefully when we all get to Thought Bubble next year, I'm looking forward to kind of scouring those tables and just picking up some really obscure titles and yeah I love that kind of really handmade stuff that you can get there and badges I miss my badges I I got got a Rachel Smith one online she's done a brilliant one that says of course I'm drunk it's It's 2020 yeah I love that I've got that that's coming you know because yeah Rachel's so she's so witty and she's so good at just nailing a feeling about something. She's a yeah. Very, no, her
0: very her quarantine person. comics this year have been excellent. A constant yeah. joy. Yeah. Um,
1: the first original
0: art I bought in a long time actually was one of hers.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think they really just they will forever be a good look back to the year and go, oh yeah, because we'll forget, right? We'll we'll move on and we'll forget how intense it was. Yeah. will and, and yeah. Be able to look that
0: and go, that, yeah, that it first was times- hand <laughs> That 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 raw firsthand, this happened to me today, kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. I, I I embarrassed her slightly. I think I spoke to Rachel earlier in the year, and uh, I told her that she was the Samuel Pepys of the pandemic.
1: Mm, uh, yeah, uh, I think, I, think I, sta- I stand by it. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair analogy. Definitely, you know, you've got to have someone that can just be evo- work, produce work that's so evocative for a moment, mm. and she's got that for sure. You know, yeah, good for her. I hope Rachel so. Loads this time round I hope so too I hope so too but yeah but that
0: is just an example of what comics can do yeah the the power of the medium for sure yeah I do have to constantly remind people that it is actually a medium and not just a genre
1: yes it is a medium and yeah exactly that's a really good point I think it's something that needs to get into the the language a bit more you know here is your non-fiction is a genre (laughs) comics it's a medium I think that's a really important thing to do yeah yeah We'll keep fighting. Yeah, you know, I'm hopeful for it. And I think, you know, I've just done um, a panel for Miami Book Fair that's launched this week. Yeah, so I was the only British creator on there. The rest are all American creators. And alongside people from like um, Drawn and Quarterly and Fantagraphics and stuff like that. So it was really amazing to do it. And it was chaired by Joan Hilty. Who uh, she was editor at DC for a while, and uh, she yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was really great. It was all about graphic medicine. So it's like A Andrews, who does her book. Uh, their book is about queer, disabled comics, and like how to basically how to have sex as a disabled person. And it's like a really, really informative but funny. Something else that nobody talks about. Do you know? Yeah, and they were all, basically all the subjects with that. Um, there was another creator, Tyler Fedder, and her book is Dancing at the Pity Party, which is about sort of the sort of small mundanities of when someone dies, or her mother died, and dealing with all the kind of platitudes you get that just start driving you mad, and you, she just felt the need to do something that was a bit more kind of like, but there's positive things, and then there's these things that happen that are funny and... You know, so it was a really fascinating kind of conversation about how we've all approached different aspects of difficult subjects through comics. And this is part of you know Miami Book Fair. Has got, they've got Margaret Atwood, they've got you know all the big authors mm. and these panels, and then they've got I think about like maybe six or seven, maybe more that are just comics panels as well. So. Uh, I know there's one with um, Sean Phillips as well and a number of other people. So it's it's great that something that is a literary event, like a big book event, um, is fully including comics in there. there's one about Swamp Thing as well. So they're not Excellent. just going into like graphic medicine stuff. They're, it's proper comics. But mm-hmm. you
0: know,
1: well, that's encouraging. Well. Yeah, I thought that was really encouraging, you know, and definitely my all my interactions with the, the staff at Miami have I've not got any impression that they consider comics to be any lesser, lesser piece of important work than a novel or, you know, anything like that. So, oh, that's great. That is encouraging. Yeah, I thought that was really amazing, actually. And I know, like, through that, I found out that Barking is on the reading list for a course at UCLA, where they're teaching a course on art and trauma. And it's been spoken about alongside Sylvia Plath. You oh, wow. know? <laughs> I know, right? You're like, good Lord. Um, that's incredible. You know, but the pe- there are academics going, yeah, like this is how you describe, this is another way to describe how it feels. is really, you know, really, really good and uh, really surprising. I think it's it is changing, but we've just got to, you know know that all these things are happening I think yeah. it happens at such a level that unless you're involved no one tells you about it and I'm just sort of like wow these things are happening and it's really surprising you know but it shouldn't be <laughs> you know? so I think maybe in the states they're, they're a bit more ahead of us in terms I think maybe of taking, a little yeah 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 yeah. Well, especially because, you know, it's also a huge money making industry. So that mm. that will certainly pick people up a bit as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah but no, but that's that's, that's nice, actually. That's, that's a really positive. Yeah.
0: Note. And I think I think maybe given that this 15 minute conversation has now gone on for nearly an hour. That positive note might be a good place to start wrapping up. Yeah, I'm sure. So where can people find you on the old social medias and and the interwebs and such like if they want to come and buy your book, which they really should do because it's awesome.
1: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, um, at Lucy Sullivan UK on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And also my website is lucysullivanuk.com. So fairly easy to find me. Brilliant. And I will drop links to all of that in the show notes as well.
0: Thank you. Much appreciated. I'm not sure that anybody actually reads the show notes, but the information will be there. Yeah, yeah, just in case. <laughs> um and with that, thank you so much for giving up quite a large section of your morning this morning. No, it's a pleasure to chat. I very much look forward to reading Indexed when it finally hits print. Yeah, thank you. And um I guess we will leave that there. So Lisa Sullivan, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. And there we have it. Um That's it for this edition of the Geeks at the Gates. I'm still going to tease you with a little bit more D&D this week before the next scheduled episode. But, you know, it might happen. It might not happen. It all depends how much editing time I actually have available. Uh, But for now, quick reminder that the show notes are available at www.destinationvenus.co.uk. Click on the blog button. More or less in the top left-hand corner of the screen. It's actually a little bit further towards the centre at the moment. Uh, Look for um, Geeks of the Gates Thought Bubble Specials. I genuinely can't remember as I'm recording this whether this is three or four. I think it's four. Uh, But it'll say Lucy Sullivan on it. it. So, you know, it'll be there. Uh, And we've got links to all of Lucy's work and to some of the other things we mentioned. I was going to put some links into the Miami Literature Festival, which came up in the conversation there. I couldn't actually find the relevant links. So um, Google is your friend in that regard. Uh, So that's it. We will see you next time. Until we do, be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else. Above all else, stay safe. Stay geeky. Until the next time, we meet together at the gates. Thank you for listening to the Geeks at the Gate podcast. us on facebook at facebook.com slash geeks at the gate or contact us on twitter at geeks at the gates or contact us by email on mail four geeks at the gates at gmail.com that is the number four not the word geeks at the gates is a production of venus rising media and is proudly made in yorkshire I did a professional sign-off there.
1: It was very professional. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)